For our second scripture reading, we'll be reading out of the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. You can find that on page 600, excuse me, 1621 of your pew Bibles. It's page 1621, and again, that is the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. When Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door to us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you have come from. Then you will say, we ate with you and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evil doers. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves will be thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last and who will be first, and the first who will also be last. This ends the reading of God's authoritative and holy word. Again, it's uh, my pleasure to be before you again today. And uh, as I was thinking about what to prepare for this morning, uh, one word just laid right on my heart ever since the beginning of the year. And if you've read our newsletter, you'll see I, I've actually kind of worked something into that for the month of January. And when I kept thinking about what to preach on this morning, I, I went to James and I went to uh, um, Philippians and I went to um, Corinthians. But this kept circling back and laying on me. So uh, I always ask the Lord for a two by four upside the head and I think I got it. So having that in mind, uh, as you know, we've spent the better part of last year going through the Gospel of Matthew, learning everything that that Jesus was teaching the people of Israel how to worship Yahweh, how to live and treat one another, how to pray and find our salvation into eternal life. And one of the passages of that scripture that, that really resounded with, with me was Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Here Jesus teaches the Jews about the way to heaven and eternal life. Look at what it says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it, but small is the gate, and narrow is the path that leads to life, and only a few will find it. Now, I don't know about you, but this passage, to me, is very troubling. It stings, and it's for eternity. Not just for a little while, eternity. And I worry about all those people who will end up on the broad road. I worry about those who may not know God or understand the good news of Christ. 
I worry about family and friends who live more for today and not think about their life after this one. I worry about the people who are no longer coming to church and gathering in fellowship to enrich their faith with fellow believers. And I worry about the people who come to church but haven't fully committed their faith in Christ. Now maybe they're just on the fence or they have the wrong understanding and they're afraid to admit it. And if that's you, that's okay. We will help you. But one way we can know that we're on the road and to completely travel is to understand God's Word. If you study the scriptures further, you'll see in Luke's gospel that Jesus communicates to us exactly how we can find that narrow path and how we can guarantee our salvation. And once we know that we have that guarantee, then we can provide that roadmap to others. And this will segue into our teaching next week on the Great Commission. Our family and friends, our children, and anyone else who is willing to know the way. You see, Luke was not only a doctor, but a very intelligent Gentile who understood that Jesus came for all mankind, and not just the select few people of Israel. So he wrote in a way to other Gentiles like you and I could understand better from Jesus' teaching. So the Lord impressed upon my heart to walk through the Gospel of Luke with you and show you where it explains more in depth how to obtain eternal life. Let's look again at our scripture reading that, where it says uh, here at the beginning of verse 22. When Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching that he made his way to Jerusalem, someone asked him, Lord, is only a few people going to be saved? Now during this time, Jesus was making his way from Galilee all the way over to Judea when an unidentified person makes this question. And using the term Lord, we, we're really not completely sure if it's, if it's just someone listening to his teaching or a Pharisee or maybe even one of the disciples. But instead of answering the question directly, Jesus answers in a way that makes a person think. Look at how he answers the question in verse 24. He said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Did you guys catch that? Do you see the wordplay here in this verse? Jesus tells us the exact guarantee we need to find our salvation and how to enter through that small door. Make every effort. Now, other translations of the Bible, such as the ESV and the NASV, reads a little bit differently. And it reads this way. Strive to enter. The contemporary English version says, do all you can do. And yet other translations say, try hard. Exert yourself. Do your best. Work hard. Struggle hard. Keep on struggling. Strive with earnestness. No matter what Bible translation you read, they all say the same thing here. Action is needed. And nowhere, I mean nowhere, does it say that you can just think about it. But interestingly, the word try was in that verse. But that word certainly had a whole other meaning. Jesus specifically said that many will try and they will not be able to enter. Clearly, action is needed on our part. 
In the original Greek text, the word used here is agonizing, which means, or which is where we get our English word agony or agonize. The meaning in Greek is to struggle. If viewed literally, it means to compete for a prize. Figuratively, it means to contend with an adversary. And if used generally, it means to endeavor to accomplish something. Fight. Labor fervently. Strive. It's an action word which means that we must do something. Now you, you may be thinking to yourselves, whoa, dude, wait a minute. I thought all we had to do was accept Christ by faith alone and believe. Now you're telling us we have to do something? Does this constitute works on our behalf for our salvation? No. We are not required to perform works. Yes, we must do something. Once you have accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, confessed and repented to Him for your sins, then you are forgiven and justified by His blood. But to abide in Christ, we must develop and maintain a personal relationship with Him. This requires personal interest, desire, and effort on our part. Ask yourselves, have you ever had a personal, long-lasting relationship with someone just by saying hello and never getting to know them? Now, if you're married, I mean, clearly you know that, right? You didn't say, hi, whoop, I'm married. You got to know them. I certainly doubt it. It took effort. And once we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can begin developing that relationship with Jesus and grow spiritually. Because we're human and we are sinful and we cannot do things on our own efforts without help, which is why the Holy Spirit was sent to us as a helper, to live with inside of us. If we look at the two parables that Jesus had taught just prior to this particular passage, he describes what the kingdom of God and how great it is. Look at verses 18 through 20. Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like the mustard seed which a man took and planted in the garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air perched on its branches. Again he asked, What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus uses these parables to explain that we make every effort to know him, to love him, and to do his will. We become bigger, stronger, and more fruitful. Just as that tiny little mustard seed grew into a large tree, so shall we grow. And just as that woman mixed the yeast into the entire batch of dough in order for it to get bigger, so the Holy Spirit must completely fill us in order for us to grow spiritually. So you see, not only must we believe in Christ by faith, but we must make every effort to grow in Him and have that relationship with Him. Look at Paul, how Paul explained this to the church in Philippi. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. 
Therefore, my friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you and will act according to his good purpose. You see, being a Christian is hard, and it may seem that we have to continually work for our salvation, but that's not the case. And that's what Paul is saying. God has already done the work to make salvation possible. Our job, our job is to work out what God has already worked in us. Cultivating it, refining the characteristics that he has given us to develop a godly life, to be more like him. To truly be a Christian, we must continually work out the discipline that Christ exercised while he walked the earth. God is the only one doing the work here, transforming us into his likeness. By faith, we are justified. By relationship, we will be sanctified. But if you do not strive to exercise Christ's discipline, allowing the Holy Spirit to work within you, then the question really is this. Are you really saved? Now, this is a very hard road to travel, especially in today's world where we're constantly being attacked by worldly things everywhere we look. And not only that, we are being attacked spiritually. And I know many of you know this. This is exactly what the adversary wants. Just look at everything that's taken place just over this last year in 2021. Beginning with the attacks on the U.S. Capitol on January 6th to the COVID-19 milestones and the discovery of ongoing new variants to this disease. Climate change issues leading to severe storms, fires, and natural disasters unlike anything that we've ever seen before. The 20-year war in Afghanistan which seemed to end in utter disaster. Fears of our economic collapse and rising inflation. The supply chain crisis, job loss, political controls, and loss of freedoms, which has sparked further division and hatred among the people of this country. And reports of Christians who have either left the church or simply have given up on their faith. Thankfully, we've put 21 behind us, or as I like to call it, 2022.0. It's gone. But unfortunately, the headlines of our world seem to continue on without a hitch. And if we fail to make the effort to be like Christ, then we will eventually lose what we once thought we had. Author Kathleen, excuse me, Catherine Pulsifer once said this, the amount of effort you put in is the amount of results that you end up with. So if you fail to make every effort, if you fail to make any effort, the results very well may be that you will not be able to enter through that narrow door. You must strive for that relationship with Christ. Here's another way to look at it. Look at Jesus' command in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, if that doesn't sink in, then I'm not sure what else will. 
We know that we're not perfect, and there's absolutely no way that we can be, at least we make every effort to do so. And that can only be accomplished through Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Now, we've answered some very important questions. Why Jesus tells us to make every effort, and what it means to make this effort. We also know how we can achieve it. But what about that narrow door? Verse 25. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading. Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you've come from. Boom! Mic drop moment right there. That is one of the scariest verses in the entire Bible. I don't know you. Can you even fathom the thought of standing at the door of heaven only to be told, I don't know you or where you come from? That should shake you to your core. So many people will come so close to heaven, even to stand at the very door and knock, only to find out that it is closed. They will knock and not receive an answer. And to ensure that they were heard, they'll also call out. But instead of an open door, they are greeted with the worst reply imaginable. Now I'm sure you guys have seen this before. In one fashion or another, in some type of illustration. This is time. Beginning of time, all those years up to this little red spot here, now this is where your life is. The decision you make here and now will determine what's going to happen this entire time. Are you going to be in fellowship with Christ? Or is this the entire time that you are left outside the door, deprived from going into the kingdom of God, separated from Him for all eternity? That is something to think about. That is why we should make every effort. This, this is unimaginably a long time. This is very short. And that invitation, that open door, is only here for that very short time. But why would a gracious, merciful, and loving God tell you he never knew you? What, what does this mean? Let's answer this question with yet another question. Have you made every effort to know him? Have you made every effort to enter his door? You see, back in ancient times, a door was left open to a household as an invitation, an open invitation to it, anyone who wanted to come in and enter. Whether it was to conduct business or to visit with a friend. But there came a time, usually in the evening dinner feast, that the door would be closed and the home inaccessible. The people of that time would understand this symbolism. But let's fast forward and look at today. Let's look at it from today's perspective. We have businesses that keep their, their doors open to everyone who can come and conduct business and get whatever they need. But what happens when you procrastinate? When you say, uh, I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it later. I'll, I'll go get it later. We all know what happens. At the close of business, the doors are closed and locked. 
And even though you may need something, you just cannot get in to obtain what you're in need of. It's too late. The same thing applies here. We're now living in an age where the narrow open door is open. And Jesus has extended the invitation for all to enter. But there will come a time when that invitation expires and the door will be closed. This will be the time of the wedding banquet between Jesus and the saved people whom he will have fellowship with. There will be a time when the judgment comes and there will be no further need for salvation. It will be too late. Friends, we, we live in a time where the signs of our world are increasingly showing evil. The earth itself is groaning more loudly than it ever has before. Now, now some may believe that the end is imminent. Christ is going to be here any minute. Now, I'm certainly not advocating this. But I will agree that today is one day closer than we've ever been before to having that door closed. We're one day closer than we've ever been before to that day of judgment. All of which can happen at any moment. So what are you waiting for? Make every effort to know Christ and enter through that narrow door. Accept his invitation while the ticket is still valid. Parents, teach your children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and the instruction of the Lord. That means bring them to church. Teach them at home. Get them into God's Word. But what are those people who cannot enter? Many people today claim they are Christians, but they really are not. These are the people who may come to church every single Sunday, participate in the Lord's Supper, or volunteer for every single program. These are the people who, who say, all I need to do is believe in Jesus, but continue to live their life as normal without a care in the world. They practice religion, but still embrace the pleasures of today's world. They profess with their mouth, but not believe in their heart. There are people who embrace false teachings and follow false teachers, hearing only what they want to hear. There are even preachers and pastors who, who preach stories from the Bible, but they themselves still live in sin. Do you know anybody like this? Could this be you? Have I offended you by saying this? Well, if I have, good. That means you're thinking. Because if you or someone you know is like this, then when you have that attitude, you have the same attitude as the Jewish priests and Pharisees of the time. In fact, many Jews fell in this category because they assumed that they were the shoe-in just because they were God's chosen people by birthright, the children of Abraham. But right now, you still have time to change your heart. You still have time to genuinely repent and receive Christ into your heart and ensure that you can make your own way down that narrow path 
and through that door. But it requires you to make every effort. Check out what Luca writes in verses 26 and 27. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, you evildoers! Now, in 1946, in a short film, singer, songwriter, and film star Gene Austin would have explained this particular passage this way in a musical. I can hear you knocking, but you can't come in. You stayed away too long. That's exactly what we're doing. We're knocking, but we can't come in because we've stayed away too long. We've ignored the opportunity. What Jesus is saying here is that people will claim to know him because they have listened to his teaching but never really treasured what he had to say into their hearts. They heard with their physical ears but never listened with their spiritual ears. Spiritual listening is a discipline that requires effort and work. It is something that is very applicable to each and every one of us here today. It does not matter if it's uh, Sunday morning, uh, if you're reading the Word of God, listening to the radio, or just listening to God throughout your day. Spiritual listening requires the attentiveness of our hearts. This is how you get to know and get closer to God. And what about the ones who have claimed to have eaten and drank with Him? Back then, those were the people who most likely have shared a meal at a dinner table with them, but never really, never really received the, the, the bread that he was providing them. It's the people who come to church and participate in communion, but only the physical consumption of the bread and wine. Not, they do not treasure the gift of the cross in their hearts. These people are merely acquaintances and have absolutely no relationship with Christ. Following Christ is not a, not a one-time occasion, but instead it is a journey. A lifestyle of repenting of your sins and trusting in Him for your salvation. And what about the stern rebuke? Verse 27. But He will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, you, all you evildoers. Here Jesus is not saying that he really doesn't know you because he does. He knows who you are. He knows you have no relationship with him. And he knows your deeds and what you are like. Another translation states this. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. This phrase has religious significance. If people were not workers of iniquity, then they would have humbly accepted the Lord's invitation. But instead, they do works of the law. They practice religion. They professed what they did not truly believe. These people say they were Christians, but they were not. And now they are found to be liars. They only intended to worship in a hypocritical way, trusting in and depending on their outward profession of religion. So now we know. Now we know why a merciful, gracious, and just God would say, I never knew you. 
He says it because you never really believed in him. He says it because you never really accepted Christ died on that cross and the gift of that cross. You profess with your mouth, but not with your heart. And you continue to embrace the world and live in sin. And if this may be you or someone you know or love, right now, it is not too late to change. If you're listening online, it is not too late to change. But tomorrow may be. Finally, Luke explains that Jesus provides a brutal warning to everyone who does not accept his invitation. Listen to this warning in verse 28 and 30. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets of the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. People will come from the east and the west and the north and the south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, these are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Once you're turned away, any hope of salvation is lost for an eternity. And there's nothing to change it. Jesus speaks very plainly that the people who are rejected will weep because they will then realize now it's too late. I screwed up. They will grind their teeth in anger because they know that they had rejected the one who was willing to pay the price for them to enter the kingdom of God and has paid it. There will be utter despair and great distress as they will be able to see the great prophets of God and God's elect, including the Gentiles, sharing in the marriage supper of the Lamb. They know that they are doomed for eternal separation from God and will share the company of devils, demons, evil spirits, and the damned. But God will gather all who truly believe in Christ Jesus and who has made every effort to know him. Look at the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 5 through 9a. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up! And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations together will gather and the peoples assemble. Of God's elect are all those who accepted Jesus as their Redeemer and Savior. They will come from every corner of the earth. And what of the first and the last? This most likely refers to the Gentiles and Samaritans who were the most despised by the Jewish people and thought to be the bottom of the barrel. These will likely be the ones who are first since they embraced Christ's invitation with open arms. And the Jews who were chosen, God's chosen people, they, 
they, they most likely will be the last for their rejection of the Messiah. And only of those Jews are the ones who truly believed and allowed to enter. So how can we guarantee that we'll be able to travel that narrow path and enter through that narrow door? First, do not love this world or anything that this life has to offer more than you love God. This is exactly how Satan wants to destroy you and your eternal destination and your relationship with Christ Jesus. Look back at what the Apostle John said in his letter. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15-17, through 17, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Remember, Satan was given this world, and we know that he will pass away with this world. And he'll do anything he can to take you with him. Second, examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Make every effort to know him through his son and believe in Christ Jesus. Confess and repent of your sins and turn to Christ. Fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, it commands us. And let us consider how we may spur up one another toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I see the day approaching. It's good that you are here so we can screw up one another. And if you are not here in church, make sure you do every effort to get here. If you know someone that should be here, make every effort to get them here. The only way that we can continue to grow is to grow together. Third, get into God's Word. Crack open your Bible. Spend time with Him and develop a strong relationship with Him. Learn His will for your life and teach your children the ways of the Lord. Deuteronomy 11, verses 18 and 19. Fix these words of mine in your hearts and your minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them to your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit down at home and when you walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. And finally, know this. Jesus says this in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 9. I am the door. Whoever enters through me will be saved. So that narrow door, that narrow path, it's not going to be easy. That narrow door is Christ. 
Let's get in relationship with him. Let's make every effort to know him. So he knows us. My challenge for all of you is this. If nothing else for 2022, I challenge you to this one tiny little thing. Make every effort to enter through that narrow door. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we so thank you for your word. We thank you for, for your clear teaching. We thank you for, for Luke, who, who is able to write your, your teachings in a way that we can understand it, and we know that we need to have a relationship with you. Father, we confess that it is so easy to go about our, our days and they continually get busier and busier and busier and we just forget or put off or procrastinate to spend at least five minutes a day with you. Help us. We ask that your Holy Spirit as our helper help us to enrich our knowledge of you, to, to have a better relationship with you. Provide us with the strength to know that we need to make every effort to get to know you and have a relationship with you. As we leave here today, Father, we just ask that you, you continually remind us of this, that you and your word and your love and what your son has done on the cross by his blood is in our hearts and on our minds continuously. Let us teach our children let us make sure that they are here. Let us invite others, Lord. Now we know the exact way how to get down that narrow path and through that narrow door. Now that we have the information, let us go out to others, whether we know them, whether they are family or a stranger. Equip us and strengthen us. Allow us to be bold to provide that opportunity to everyone who desires to know you. We pray this in the name of your Holy Son, Christ Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.